0: on his way to Jerusalem. He traveled along the border between Samurai and Galilee. As he was going to the village, ten men met him. They had a skin disease. They were standing close by, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Jesus saw them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. While they were on their way, they were healed. One of them saw that they were healed. He came back, he praised God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. The man was a s- Samaritan. Jesus asked, weren't all 10 healed? Why? Where are the other nine? Didn't anyone else return to praise God and accept this, out, accept this outsider? Then Jesus said to him, get up and go. Your faith has healed you.
1: So many things have turned upside down and sideways. You will remember not too long ago, it even affected the way we worship. God has given us the privilege to come into his presence, and it's by his design that we join every single, and in our case, our faith, it's Sunday, isn't it? Now, how many of us wake up in the morning and say, oh, good, thank you, the alarm went off, I'm going to get up and get dressed and go to church, or is it one of those times in which we say, oh, man. I hear voices. <laughs> what about the time when we're concerned about paying the electric bill? Is God good? What about the time we go to visit the doctor and he says one of our vital organs isn't functioning correctly? Do we still say God is good? What about those times in which we just don't know What's going to happen? And we have responsibility to other people. We have responsibilities to our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our neighbors. We just don't know what's going to happen. Is God still good? It's It's been my experience, and more importantly, it's been my relationship with God that I can stand before you today and say, absolutely, yes, God is good all the time. We got it. Let's watch this story. In our text this morning, Jesus is traveling again. Jesus was a traveler. Have you ever noticed when we read the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, Jesus is always on the move? He doesn't stay in one place. He moves and he interacts and he has relationship with those around him, whether it be religious leaders, whether it be the person that serves him food, whether it be the person that just pass him by on the path. He has a relationship. He is the perfect evangelist. <gasps> oh, I said the E word evangelist. He is the perfect evangelist seeking out those that need to hear the good news of the gospel that sounds like a job description doesn't it to seek out those that need to hear the good news of the gospel it's sort of like what you and i are supposed to be doing isn't it in our neighborhoods with our family with our loved ones with other church people those that we associate with we are to be evangelists telling them the good news. Of Jesus the scriptures are very clear in this particular scenario the Bible tells us that he Jesus entered a village there 10 men with leprosy and we don't even have any idea in our western culture in our society what leprosy is all about we read about it we hear about it we know about it but we don't have an understanding of it and in this particular time Uh, stood off in a distance, there were ten men crying out, Jesus, Master. And what did they ask? They didn't ask for money. They didn't ask for, can you spare change? They didn't ask to be healed. They asked for what? Have mercy on us. And we know that Jesus did that. We know that he did that. Leprosy was one of the most dreaded diseases at that particular time in the world's history. It would would deaden the nerves, and it would begin to gnaw away. Now imagine this on your toes, your fingers, eating away a person's scalp. But it would continue. It would continue in its hideous destruction of vital organs. On the inside, you wouldn't be able to see it. Obviously, externally, you would see, as the video showed us, some of the sores and stuff that was on someone. But the emotional pain was even more devastating. It was worse than the physical pain. You would be removed from your family. You would be cast out. You would be removed from where you lived completely. You talk about social distancing, that would be six feet plus, right? There could be no contact, no physical contact whatsoever with one's children, with one's spouse. And worse than that, you wouldn't even be able to have contact with your grandchildren. And everybody knows that's even better than children. A spouse would not be allowed to even kiss their soulmate goodbye, just automatically, immediately exercised, taken away. And these folks that suffered from this dreadful disease, those that were marked, those that were dying, they tend to roam together. That's why we see 10. That's why we hear this story. That's why it's there. There was 10 men. And a lot of times, they would gather together. They would begin to look for food, begging for assistance. I just need some shelter. I just need some food. And at a great distance, they began to yell and use their outside voices because they had to warn people before they came in contact with them. In fact, they used to wear bells and they would have to tinkle these bells. That's where I think the original bell ringer came from, wasn't it? <laughs> what do you think? They used to have to ring bells and say, hey, Stay away from me. I'm unclean. I have a disease. And if you come near me, you might catch it. Leprosy was just so hideous. Any kind of a skin rash, any kind of a blemish, any kind of a pimple, they all slid it under the heading of leprosy because they didn't know about it. Hmm. They gathered together to protect each other, to be with each other, because society had cast them away. Again, when they saw Jesus, they cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Luke makes it a very uh, point of telling us that Jesus saw the lepers. As they cried out, I can only imagine what went through Christ's mind when he saw these ten men. He saw probably a tragic demise of creation. God created us a perfect being, one that would function. And when sin entered into the world, Satan destroyed that. And that's what we see here. And I imagine that's what was going through Jesus' mind at that time. He was seeing creation. He saw a suffering of bodies, physical, painful. He saw a separation of relationships. Remember when Jesus came to earth, this is what he preached. We can have a relationship with God, a relationship, not just follow rules and regulations. And I'm sure it broke his heart. Jesus also saw a brokenness of love. But he gave some instructions. He didn't say, okay, you ten guys, you're healed, everything's cool, go back to your families, enjoy your life. He said, go show yourselves to the priests. And you have to understand, in those days, the priest was everything. Everything. He was the barber, he was the chief cook, he was the bottle washer, he was everything. He was the philosopher, not only just the religious leader, but he, in this case, was the doctor. In other words, Jesus was saying, go to the priest and get a certificate of cleansing. Go get his blessings. Go to the priest and have him tell you that you're okay, you're able to go back to your families." Now imagine, it didn't do a very good job in the video, but that's okay. Ten suffering men had suddenly been touched by the Son of God. Hey, he wasn't touched by a priest, a religious leader, or any other significant. He was touched by the Son of God. Ten suffering men had been touched by the creating hand of God that was still very much at work in the world. As he is today in the midst of this COVID-19 thing. How many times have we left this place scratching our heads saying, how much longer, God? How much more? What else can happen? What else is going to be different? I want you to use your imagination for a moment. Imagine these 10 men. Can you picture them bounding down the road? They weren't just lollygagging along. They were running. They were skipping. They were dancing. They were headed to the priest. They were going to declare that they were clean because Jesus, the master, had mercy on them. Yes, praise God. Hmm. And I imagine that some of them would stop and say, hey, what are these priests going to say? What are they going to ask? And what are we going to say in response? All ten of these men were caught up in the joy. They were caught up in the excitement of the moment. But as we know, as the story continues, there was only one that returned to Jesus to say thank you. Ten (laughs) percent. I just realized ten percent, that's what God wants of us in our tithe, isn't it? But the question for us, the question in my mind this morning, as we proclaim to be followers of Jesus, let us, let you and me, let us be determined to be the one to recognize God's goodness to us all the time.
0: Why was he special? What happened to him? What didn't happen to him? We're going to watch this next clip, please. came to Jesus. He returned when he saw that he had been cleansed of his disease. Hadn't they all been cleansed? They were all happy. They were all cleansed. But he returned to glorify God. The others went to get their certification of being cleansed, of going back to their families. He returned to worship God. He returned to give thanks to God. We re- He received the cleansing of his disease along with the other nine, nothing special, but he alone was the one who received cleansing of his soul. He was the only one that came for more than just to be cleansed of leprosy. He alone saw Jesus as God. Jesus told him, Thy faith hath made thee whole, body, soul, and spirit. He was made whole. Isn't that exciting? Amen. That when we accept Jesus, we are whole now? That, that, w, that H-O-L-E in our heart is now full, and we are whole, W-H-O-L-E. We are now a whole person. So note the comparisons. The one is a picture of a repentant sinner who comes to Jesus. That's what he represents. He was lost in the crowd of lepers. He had no identity apart from being a leper. The nine were ready to have their prayer answered, as we all are. When we pray, what do we expect? We expect an answer. We are all there. They were not looking for that relationship, though with jesus they were just looking for the miracle that's what they wanted was the miracle so why do we pray why do we pray for the miracle or the relationship what's the purpose of our prayer Without Christ, we are lost in the crowd of sinners. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. While others are satisfied with physical cleansing, he, the one, realized his need for more. Do we recognize that need beyond our rope prayer? Thanks for the food. Thanks for today. Protect my kids as they go to school or off to work. Keep us safe, traveling mercies, and so on. Those are all good prayers. They're all wonderful prayers. But is it about the answer, or the relationship? What is it about? He, the leper, came to Jesus in faith and gained his identity. He was more than just one of the more than just one of the ten lepers. Now, in Ephesians two eight two eight and nine it says for by grace are you saved through faith it is a gift of god not works least any man should boast there's nothing we can do to receive salvation but to seek him the nine are a picture or an appearance of religion so let's say over here's the one and then over here is the religion over here are the nine they saw jesus only as a great teacher They called him Jesus, master, master meaning rabbi, rabbi meaning great teacher. They saw only for the cure for their condition. That's all that they were praying for was the miracle. Religion deals with the symptoms of sin and condition that the sin brings. You ever think about that? Not the relationship, but religion. Instead of dealing with the source and cause of the condition, religion doesn't deal with the source and the cause. Jesus does. They were more concerned with the outside than the inside. We're going to look at Jesus' view for a moment of religion in uh, Matthew 23, 25 through 28. Matthew 23, excuse me, 25 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup, the dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and hypocrites, for you are like our whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So simply said, a Pharisee is the one who follows all the rules, and there's no room for mercy or grace. This is the rule, black and white, that's it. And simply saying, the scribes, they were the copier of the documents okay that's what they knew they didn't know about love and mercy they did maybe on a personal basis with their family and such but when it came to the word it was only what they knew what they read what they copied that was the way it was supposed to be and then the person who indulges hypocrisy hypocrisy let's see here i looked up that meaning of it it says hypocrisy is the presence of a false appearance or virtue of goodness while while concealing real character traits and inclinations especially with respect following their faith moral beliefs they are also a pretense and a sham so how many of you have ever heard anybody say the church is just full of hypocrites you ever heard that I've heard that so many times, I'd be a rich woman if I had a dollar for every time I've heard it. Prayerfully, that's not so. We're here to seek God. We're here not for the religion, but for the relationship. And when we go out of these four walls, and we go out of our home, and we're out in public, we're there for the relationship, not the religion. We're there to show love to others. Amen? Amen. Yes, that is what it's about. Jesus asks, where are the nine? Jesus expects all of us to come to him. His calling is for every single person ever born. His calling is for every single person ever conceived. After such a display of divine power, surely they would realize that he was the son of God. Ever witnessed a real miracle? Ever been a part of a real miracle? Raise your hand. If you feel that somehow, some way, God has worked in your life or somebody else's and you know it's been a miracle because it never would have happened naturally, how many other people who witnessed that or were with that miracle came to Jesus for a relationship or they just said, oh, it's a miracle and they went about their own life and their way. That's kind of what happened, isn't it? Oh, it's a miracle. And they just went about their way. Unfortunately, they were like many of us today. They came near Jesus. They came near Jesus. But they did not come to him. They did not come to him. Remember that they were not looking for a relationship. That wasn't what the mercy was all about. There was nothing about themselves that they saw needed to be changed except for their leprosy. That was the only thing wrong with them in their hearts. They came near enough to bring about an outward change but not an inward conversion. Without that, sought-after, volunteer surrender of the inside of who we are, there is no conversion. There isn't. That's the black and the white of the word. There isn't. There's no other means of eternal life apart from Jesus. Um, the, when the cadets were here, cadet in, one of her, in her sermon said, what do you want? God or the destination? Who is it you're following? God or the destination? You want to go to heaven if God's not there? Well, my first inclination when I sat there and heard that was, sure, I want to go to heaven. But then I'm going, God's not there. So why do I want to go to heaven? So what is it we're looking for? Are we looking for the relationship or the miracles in our life? In Acts 4.12, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given unto man, whereby we must be saved. An honest faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, an honest faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, will bring about our salvation. Acts 16 31 and they said believe on the Lord Jesus for thou shalt be saved and thy household believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy household amen? amen amen that's pretty big if I'm saved that means my household's going to be saved that's huge because they're supposed to be a change in us that our household sees and wants I want what you have how can I get that and then you give me your testimony about how Jesus saved you and how the Holy Spirit now lives within you and how he's changed you that is how our household gets saved what about you this morning are you among the nine Have you sometimes, somewhere, come near to Jesus, but not to him? Have your parents' faith stopped and now it's your faith? We have to have our own. We can't have our parents'. I can't take my mom's faith or my dad's faith and say, oh, I'm a Christian. I was raised in a Christian home. I have to have my own faith, it has to be mine, it has to be personal. Why not come to him by faith receiving the gift of salvation if you have not done that this morning? If I'm a good person, I come to church. I love God. I love God. I pray. I read the Bible. But what about the personal you-and-him relationship? Is that there? Because when we die... No one else is going to be standing in front of us or beside of, beside us or in back of us. It's going to be us and Jesus. That's it. Or maybe we need to come back to that relationship that we so long ago went stale. We're stuck in the desert. We've been Christians. I remember when I was fourteen years old and I gave my life to Jesus. I remember when I was six years old and I gave my life to Jesus. I remember when I was two years old and I gave my life to Jesus and I was baptized and I was brought into the church. I remember when I was 19 years old. I may be 42 today, but I was 19 years old. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about today. I'm talking about yesterday. Where is your relationship today with Jesus? Are you tired of being tired? Are you running the race that needs to be done, but just tired? Claiming his, claiming his goodness, but not going to him, the giver of peace and joy and kindness and love and hope. Our country needs hope. Our nation, our world needs hope. Christian, we are saved by the blood of Jesus today. but are we living are we living lives characterized by thankfulness? Are we thankful every day that we're saved? Are we? I'm not. Some days I'm a train wreck. And then I realized prayerfully through part of the day, well Susan, you haven't touched bases with Jesus today, have you? You got up so fast and got dressed and got rushed out so fast that it just didn't occur. And then I have to stop. And I have to come near to him, come close, make him me, make him mine again. Maybe it's in the car. Maybe it's walking down the street. Maybe it's at a stoplight. Maybe it's in working on my computer and I just stop. No matter where it is, If we're not living that life of thankfulness for our salvation, we need to stop and not do it by rote, not allow our our cold feelings or our feelings are just getting caught up in the busy world. Do you know that if you're too busy, if you're too busy to spend time with God, you're doing something God did not call you to do? You're doing something he didn't say to do if you're too busy to have time with him. So think about all these good, wonderful things you're doing. Remember, Jesus said, The poor will always be with you. The Mary and Martha. Mary first took time to be with Jesus. That's the first thing we have to do. So come today. Come today wherever your need is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if maybe it's just been a while since you just closed your eyes and said, I love you, Lord. Maybe it's just been a while since that's happened. And you felt his presence just, just filling you. I go from the top bottom. Maybe some people go from the bottom up. I don't know. But filling you. Let me leave you with this scripture today. The scripture is found in Romans. Romans 121 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. holy, choosing the right and not the wrong, holy prove what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Romans 12:1 and 2. I'd like to um, end this time with our song, Take My Life and Let It Be. You, you give us your word, Lord, from the, first, from the first syllable in Genesis to the last in Revelation, that the thread of redemption is through this entire Bible, Lord Jesus. Thank you for that. Father, that we may be the one, we may be the one, Lord God, that seeks you, on a very personal basis, that seeks you, Lord God, and says, I'm here. I'm here, and I want you for every moment in my life. I give you my will. As scary as that is, and it's pretty scary sometimes, God, because I know what I'm not equipped to do. But you are, Jesus. Thank you for that. Help us to be the one, God and then to be the one to go out and to tell the nine that they would be blessed as well. Hmm. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.